Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. What up church? How we feeling this morning? Come on, loving it. So good to see everybody. Uh, I hope that your morning has been super rich. Want to reiterate the reiteration of the reiteration. World mandate, man, it's filling up. And we want you guys to be the ones that are filling the seats, okay? And so right after the service, really, I don't try to remember. Just do it, all right? Just right after the service, go register, register yourself, register somebody that you're going to bring, all right? Because you are not going to going, you are not going to want to miss that time. It's going to be fun. It's going to be life-changing. Uh, and it really does serve as one of those moments for us here at Antioch where it's just like, there just seems to be a theme when you begin to ask people, hey, what's going on in your life? Somewhere in their story, they'll begin to talk about what God spoke to them at World Mandate. And we just want to encourage you, be a part of it, jump in uh, with it. We're expecting a full house and uh, it's going to be a blast. Well, uh, how many of you are aware of the fact that we have launched a South Campus? Yeah. Uh, so we're right kind of in the middle of this kind of launch phase, if you will, uh, of launching this South Campus, and it's going phenomenal down there. Thank you for those of you who actually went this morning to the 9 a.m. South Campus service to serve and uh, to kind of help us set culture. Uh, man, we're just so thankful for you. Uh, but we're seeing February 10th as our launch day, okay? The reason why that's important is because we don't want it just to feel like a launch in the South. We want it to also feel like a launch here in the north. We're not just saying, God, give us momentum there. We're saying, God, we want fresh momentum everywhere. We really believe that God is giving us an invitation into more. And so there's a question that I want you to start kind of kicking around in your brain. It's like, who am I inviting on February 10th? Who have I interacted with over this last week or last month or last year, last 10 years, last 20 years, last 40 years? And you've been like, man, I want to invite them to church. You just don't know how. Look, we're going to make it easy on you. We're going to have invitation cards. You don't even have to talk. You can just walk up to them, just hand them a card, and then run away. And they will still get invited to church, okay? But we want you to be asking that question, who can I invite? Uh, Because we are expecting hundreds of visitors in the south, and why not expect hundreds of visitors here in the north? Uh, Because we believe God's on the move in this city, amen, Uh, that there is amazing things happening. God is speaking and changing the culture and dynamic of Austin, Texas. And we just say, like, God, would you begin to use our church in unprecedented ways to expand your story and your glory on the earth? So the question I want you to ask is what? Who am I inviting? The question I want you to ask is what? Amen. Amen. This is, it's even later, okay, the 9 a.m. service was popping. So can I ask you one more time? You can act like you're awake because you're about to eat lunch. The question you need to ask is what? Love it, absolutely. Who are you inviting? Well, as we've been in this kind of launch prep season, kind of across the board, we've been using this time not just to define our foundation in this launch team that we're building in the South, but for really all of us to clarify the foundational things that really make us who we are. Because we're building something. And when you're building something, your foundation really, really matters. And that's why we've been taking time over these past couple of weeks in this series called Build the House, where we're doing just that. We're defining 
what we're building on, the foundational truths that we are staking everything on. We're basically saying Jesus is our message. That was week one. We're just, Jesus is our message. He's it. He is the only thing. We're all about Jesus. We preach Jesus. We love Jesus. He's our obsession. Jesus is our message. Last week, we talked about serving is our privilege. Can, can you believe we get to do this? Like Andrew said that like 75 times in the announcement video. Like, can you believe we get to do that? What a privilege it is to serve the house, to, to be a part of building what God is doing. And we kind of want to continue on this week and talk about hope is our belief. I want you to write that down on the top of your paper. Everybody knows that note takers are closer to God's heart. He hears your prayers. Write hope is our belief. If you have a Bible, I want you to make your way to Romans 5. Romans 5 verse 1 is, is going to be our anchor passage for our time today. And it says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given us. If you're okay with writing in your Bible, I want, you to, I want to encourage you to underline in verse 2, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. What a beautifully dense passage of scripture. And we're going to be leaning into it this morning. And, and I want you to write underneath, hope is our belief. I want you to write this in your notes. This is kind of the title of my message. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? The secret in the struggle. The secret in the struggle. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm asking that the word of God would come alive to us, that you would get me out of the way and that your truth would be heard. And the message that you have for us, God, this, this life-transforming truth of our hope being our belief would sink deep into the fabric of who we are and that we would find the strength that you have made available for us in the middle of trouble, in the middle of our struggles. And Jesus, I pray uh, that you would do amazing things today and that the saints would win. In Jesus' name, amen. Not even really a saints fan, just felt like the Holy Spirit jumped on me right there, just had to testify right there. A few years ago, uh, our family was given an incredible gift. We had been in a season, and some of you can relate to this season, we had been in a season of taking staycations, right? Like, you know, you've been a little bit of financial hardship. You don't take a vacation. You take a staycation. You know, your kids ask you, hey, where are we going for vacation? You're like, the mall. We're going to walk around in the air conditioning. We have a great time. Maybe you might get a cookie. We'll take it out of your allowance, but we're not going to tell you that because we're going to find a way to tell you that you lost that money, but really we're just going to repurpose it. Right, And so some of our friends who love us dearly, we're so thankful for them, they wrote us this incredibly kind letter. And they said, hey, we, we found out that you guys have had a few years of staycation, so uh, we want to send you on a vacation. 
we were like, unbelievable. And they're like, we want to send you to Disney. I mean, what? I mean, the happiest place on earth? Are you kidding me? Like, I was so excited. Like, now, at the time, we had... We, we just had Sophie and Tate. We hadn't adopted the twins yet. So it was just the four of us. And Liz and I are just like game planning. Like, how are we going to break this to the kids? And so we start doing research. You know, there's books written on how to have a good vacation in Disney. Like people wrote books like show up at this ride at this time. Eat at this restaurant at 12.07, and your wait will be 15 minutes instead of 27 minutes. I mean, it's amazing the detail that people go in to do research to help you have a good time. And, and so we're just deep diving into this Disney experience. And, man, I am getting more and more and more excited. I had been as a kid, but, man, to, to go as an adult, to, to be able to take your kids to that, and you're just like, oh, this is going to be the best of all time, right? And so we get everything planned, and we're like, you know what? Let's just, we can't keep it a secret anymore. We need to tell the kids. We have to tell them, like, how are we going to do it? And, you know, Liz and I, we're not really good at, this, at the surprise thing, okay? I'm going to be honest with you. Like, we give each other gifts early just because we're excited to get Anybody else do that? You get somebody something, you're like, I don't want to wait to your birthday. I want to give it to you now. I did a great job. I want you to see how good of a job I did. And so that's kind of like we both suffer for that. So we decide in the car, like driving actually to Life Group, we're like, you know what? Let's just tell them. And I'm like, hey, you know what? Let's film it, though. Like, let's, this is going to be amazing. Like, You're going to freak out. You're going to love it. And so we caught it on film. This was their response when they found out we were graduating from staycations to Disney vacations. Let's check it out. One, two, three. Disney World! Going to Disney World? Yes! Oh, wow, Tate. Why are you crying? Why not? Where do you want to go? I want to go. I don't know. Wait, wait, you have to tell us where you want to go. I do not know. Okay. Well, I think you'll change your mind probably. No, I don't. Where do you want to go, buddy? Hawaii. Hawaii? <laughs> Anybody else just so overwhelmed at the, thanks, the thankful heart that just comes out of my children? Just so thankful. Well, let me tell you the conversation that happened after the camera went off. So I was perplexed. You know what I mean? I'm like, hey, dude, like, Disney World, bro. Like, I agree, Hawaii is awesome, you know, but it's just a lot of just like, oh, wow, that's pretty. This is Disney World. And, and so we're just asking, like, and, and we start asking, like, dude, do you even know what Disney World is? And he's like, no. And I'm like, okay, well, that explains a lot, right? So we start telling him about it, showing videos of it. We're just like, bro, it is like the land of milk and honey. Even the air smells like cotton candy, bro. Like, it is just unbelievable. And as we begin to explain to him actually what Disney World was, his disappointment changed to excitement. You know, because isn't it interesting how our hope can be connected to what we understand is coming? Our hope in what is coming or our hope in the middle of a storm that we don't understand is connected 
to our understanding of what we are hoping in. Or in our context here this morning, who we are hoping in. Paul said, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We boast. We boast. We we shout about, we brag about, we, we, we exhort, we're just like, yes, in the glory of God. You see, the fuel source for our hope is God's glory. The, the gasoline on the fire of the hope in our souls is the glory of God. The glory of God is the fuel source in our hope, meaning that we can walk through anything in our hope, never be threatened if our hope is in the glory of God. It, it serves to be a strengthening for us, and we will find ourselves to be unshakable. But this truth also exposes the human condition to find hope in what we see versus hope and what we hope for. You ever felt like your circumstances stole your hope? Anyone's car ever break, ever? How come it always happens like after you get a raise, you get a little extra money, you've like disciplined yourself to save a little bit, and you're like, I'm finally on my way up, and then your engine blows up, roadside fire, the whole thing, right? And that, that circumstance is a threat to the hope that you have in your financial security. Am I talking to anybody? Our circumstances have a pervasive attacking nature to the fuel source of our hope. Our circumstances will begin to distract us from who we're hoping in. Because I want you to understand, hopelessness, it's like a cancer, really. Some, one, one circumstance can happen. A seed of hopelessness can fall into your soul. Then all of a sudden, that hopelessness does not stay relegated to that one circumstance. It, it begins to swell and grow and take over. Proverbs 13, 12 actually describes this and says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. There's a heart sickness that's connected to untreated hopelessness. A friend of mine who I hadn't seen in, in a few months, we, we got coffee this week and was so great to reconnect. He's a man of God, leader in this city, love him to death, known him for years. And, and we're just catching up, and he's kind of just letting me know what's going on in his world and what he's been doing. He starts telling me about an interaction that he had where he sat down and had a meeting with the leader of the largest atheist group here in Austin. And he sat down with him just to get to know him and hear his story a little bit. And throughout the course of their conversation, he found out that this young man grew up actually in church. His pastor, or his parents are still pastors. And so my friend just had to ask, like, well, tell me, how did you go from believing to doubting to not believing at all like what happened and this is what he said this is his quote not mine this is his quote he 
He said, we prayed for something for a long time and nothing happened. Hopelessness, hope deferred, leads to heart sickness. And untreated heart sickness will lead to leaving the very thing that you love. Untreated hopelessness will steal our ability to believe in the God of hope. That's why when Paul says we boast in the hope of the glory of God, he's giving us a a secret in the struggle. He's giving us a key when we find ourselves in the middle of the fight. Because here's the thing. Let me encourage you. In this life, you will have trouble. Jesus said that. In this life, you will be disappointed. You will be discouraged. People are going to betray you. Horrible things are going to happen to you. Things maybe that are completely out of your control. Maybe you started a business and it's all gone. Everything you worked for has evaporated. Maybe you got fired for no reason whatsoever. Maybe you lost someone that you love, a loved one, just suddenly passes away, and you are left in pain, the pain of life, the reality of disappointment, the very real cancer of hopelessness begins to invade your soul because you encounter the fact that life hurts. Life is hard. It doesn't always work out the way we think it should work out. Any Cowboys fans in the house? It doesn't always work out the way we think it's going to work out. But our hope is not connected to what's happening. Our hope is fueled by the glory of the God that we're serving. Our hope is not connected to what is happening. It's fueled by the glory of the God that we're serving. And how that looks is that we set our hearts on who God is and not what we hope God does. We, we set our hearts on who God is and not what we hope he does. We don't bank our understanding of the kindness and generosity and the impossibilities that God makes possible on the solution to a problem. The breakthrough right here. We base our belief and our hope in the glory, the majesty of who God is. And in getting lost in his glory, all of a sudden we experience perseverance what we thought was going to kill us actually we start finding life in the struggle and it produces in us character we get shoulders to carry more and, and that character allows us to believe in the glory of God and not our circumstances and so we get hope Because our hope is not in our circumstances. Our hope is in the God that we serve. And then the love of God gets poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When we're in a struggle, the secret 
is allowing the love of God to pour into our heart. It's not about getting out of the struggle. It's about stopping struggling and start receiving. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. We set our hearts on who God is, not what we hope God does. Because here's the fact. The fact is that when trouble hits, humans ask two primary questions. Of course, we ask more than that. But they really kind of come down to two things. When really hard stuff hits you, no matter what it is, if it hits your soul hard, you will ask, what did I do? And how could God let? We might have different words, but that's really what it is. We're, we're saying, did I do this? Did I cause this? If you're a Christian, you might be thinking like, did I not pray enough? Did I not read my Bible enough? Did I somehow get on God's bad side? Like, what did I do to deserve this? Is anybody who's ever, can we just be real here in the house? Anybody ever ask that question in the face of real pain? You're like, what, what did I do that, is, that, that, that now this is my reality? And then the other one is, who is this God? Right? It's an attack on the character of God. How many of you ever asked that question? A tragedy strikes you. are like, how could God let? How could God allow? And, and truthfully, how we respond to those two questions will either allow us to experience the boasting hope and the glory of God found in Romans 5 or, or the heart sickness described in Proverbs 13. How we respond to those questions will define if we are attacking the cancer that's trying to attack us or if we succumb to the cancer of hopelessness. You know, in the Bible, there's this man named David. How many of you ever heard of David? If you've been to church just like once in your life or even heard of church, you've probably heard of David. He's a big deal. David was a king who started off as a shepherd. He was a warrior. He killed giants. He defended the character of God at all costs. And God smiled upon him so brightly that he chose David. He said, from the line of David, I'm going to send Jesus. And then God, speaking of David, said that David is a man after my own heart. Basically saying, hey, if you want to if you want to understand what I'm talking about when I talk about worship, look at David. David is a man after my own heart. And can I just say, David also was familiar with trouble. David had some struggle. David struggled through most of his life. Right out of the gate, after God anointed him to be king, he ran for his life. Because the guy who was king, Saul, wanted to murder him. Can you imagine running for your life, having to hide in caves? I mean, David was familiar with trouble. But not all of David's trouble came at him. Some of it he created. Let's just be real. Some of our struggle, we created. We made bad decisions and bad decisions equal bad consequences. 
David slept with another man's wife. She got pregnant. He didn't want him to know, so he had him murdered. Drama. Trouble. That struggle, David created. But the fact is, no matter if you created it, no matter if you feel like it's chasing after you, the struggle is real. And David found himself in a place of great pain. There was this big rebellion, and he has to flee Jerusalem because this uprising had happened. And right in the middle of having to run for his life again, he's king at this point, and he has to run for his life again. Very important, key people begin to bail on him. So not only is he running for his life, the trusted ones that he had walked with for years begin to betray him and leave him at the exact same time. People like his son. As a father, I cannot imagine the pain of a son rejecting me. Let alone a son rejecting me when the very place that I am ruling has rejected me and I'm running for my life. Trouble. Painful, lonely struggle. People like Mephibosheth. If you don't know who that is, that is Jonathan's crippled son. It was customary when there was a changing of the guard, a changing of the royal family. The way it went down was that anyone who was still alive from the line of Saul would be killed so that they would not be a threat to the new king. But David, a man after God's own heart, said, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I need you to find anyone who's still alive from the family of Saul because I want to adopt them and make them my family. And they found this crippled boy. And they brought him to David. And David loved him like he was one of his own. And he betrayed him. Left him. Said, I don't want anything to do about you and most of David's close friends. And it was from that place of pain, loneliness, isolation, and hopelessness that David wrote Psalm 42. And Psalm 42 says this, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? Can anybody relate to that? Have you ever been in so much anguish you can't sleep and you can't eat? You're just lost in the pain. Where am I supposed to go now? How am I supposed to do forward? What am I supposed to make of myself now? And you're just saying, I I can't even sleep. I can't eat. My tears have just become my nourishment. Like I, I am literally wasting away. But listen to how David responds right after he poses that question that we all know, where is your God, right? That we've asked ourselves and maybe someone has even accused you when you're in a tough time. You're like, where's your God? Like, we know that question. David responds, these things I remember. These things I remember. 
as I poured out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Wow. Why are you down? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Don't put your hope in what you hope God does. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. David is tapping into the secret and the struggle. We fight the cancer of disappointment and the sickness of hopelessness by changing where we put our focus. Changing where we put our focus. Changing what we look like. He says, this is what's happening. It's horrible. I can't take it anymore. I'm dying from the inside out. I'm wasting away. I'm weeping myself. I'm weeping myself to sleep. I can't eat. I'm anguished inside. But I'm not going to look at that. I'm putting my hope in God. This is the secret in the struggle God, I'm looking at you and who you are. I'm not looking at my circumstances, wondering where you are. Am I talking to anybody? I'm looking at God and saying, this is who you are. I'm not looking at my circumstances and saying, where are you, God? This is what Paul's really talking about in Romans 5, verse 2, when he says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. He's saying our strength, our our hope fuel is to gaze at who God is. And he goes on and says not only, but we glory in our sufferings. We get excited about suffering because we know it's going to produce perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Do you know the word there for glory the first time in verse 2? When it says, and we boast in the glory of God, the the word in the Greek there is a word named doxe. And and I want you to listen to the definition of that word. When Paul says that we are to boast in the glory of God, he's saying we need to boast in the splendor, the brilliance. It's the base meaning for the awesome light that radiates from God's presence. It's associated with acts of power and miracles and honor and praise. And it's assigning the highest status to God. It's saying we boast in getting lost in the brilliance and the magnificence of who God is. That's how we have hope. That's how we stay unshakable in shaky times, is that we're not lost in wondering where God is in our circumstances. We're lost in who God is in the middle of our circumstances. Our hope in the middle of what's happening is connected to our understanding of who's coming. They're connected. Uh, our hope and our understanding of his glory are tied together. The hope we carry will never be stronger than the glory that we see. 
Your heart will not be filled with unshakable hope that you can boast about if the glory that you see is a small picture of God. That's the hope we carry is connected to the glory that we see. That's why we have to focus and discipline our hearts to say, I'm going to see as much of God every day as I can. I'm going to position myself to have a real relationship with him so that I'm looking at him every day and I'm saying, God, you are wonderful. You are majestic. You are brilliant. You are so powerful. There is nothing that is outside of your control. There is nothing going on in my life that you have not given me strength to conquer because you are a conqueror. I am more than a conqueror in you. You are amazing, Jesus. Wow. I can't believe that you would die on a cross for me, that God so loved the world, that he gave his only Son, church, we have to learn how to live in glory. If we if we don't live in glory, if we stop trying to be obsessed with the glory of God, we will find ourselves hopeless. We will find ourselves with a cancer of hopelessness that will accuse and attack the very nature of the character of God. That's why when Paul says that it's going to produce in you character, it's because our character becomes laced with his character. The character of God becomes part of the fabric of who we are. So when things happen, when you are filled with the glory of God and the love of God is being poured into your heart because they're connected, you can't be in his glory and not encounter his love. When the accusation of the temptation to think that your circumstances are defining the goodness of God, you can look at and say, man, I glory in my suffering. You kidding me? That's not at all who God is. My God is a conquering lion. And yes, my circumstances, just like David, it's painful. It is causing me to have to dig deep. But I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to remember those times when I would come to church and I would sing songs of praise and I would feel the presence of God begin to swirl in me and the the character of God displayed in front of me by the words on the screen. And I'm going to remember that our God is alive. And it doesn't matter what my circumstances are because my hope's not connected to my circumstances. My hope is found in the God of my circumstances. Boast in the hope of the glory of God. I think we need to stop struggling and start receiving. We need to stop struggling and start receiving. The the secret in the struggle is letting God love us. Letting the love of God pour into our heart. Literally, just like pausing and and letting the love of God pour into our, stop struggling your way through things that you can't fix. Start receiving from the God who's knows more, wiser, sees all. We need to receive His love. We don't need to struggle. We need to receive. You see, because hope is our belief. That's where we land. Hope is our belief. And and we don't look for ways out of the struggle. We start looking for love in the struggle. As for this house, we're not looking for ways out. We're looking for Jesus in. 
Therefore, we will find ourselves agreeing with 2 Corinthians 4.16, which says this, Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Outwardly, my circumstances, man, I'm, I'm wasting away practically, physically, emotionally, but inwardly because my hope is not tied to my circumstances. My hope is tied to the God of my circumstances. Inwardly, I'm being renewed day by day by day by day. And check this out, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them. Isn't it amazing that when you get into the presence of the glory of God, our trouble finds its rightful place. A circumstance can feel like it's up here, you're drowning, you can't find a way out. Financially, you're buried. Your marriage is over. You can't see your way forward. You are at the end of yourself. You get in the glory of God, all of a sudden you're like, ah, light and momentary. Light and momentary, because in light of the eternal glory, there is no circumstance that is threatening. There, there's no struggle that is suffocating. There, there's no depression that's never ending. There's no anxiety that is gonna steal from you anymore because you're like, ha, I'm about to, I'm gonna glory in my suffering because this suffering is gonna produce some hope in me and that hope is gonna change everything. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. For our light and momentary trouble are achieving, achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And check this out. So we fix our what? We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You feel lost? Get lost in glory marvel at his goodness stop and look stop looking at what you see and start looking at what you can't see fix your eyes on the glory of God and begin to boast in the byproduct of hope that comes and looking at the majesty and splendor and the brilliance of who he is because I believe that this morning God wants to fill our hearts with so much love that it begins to destroy our hopelessness. That the glory of God gets so big inside of us this morning that literally hopelessness turns to hope. That this morning you move from darkness to light.